Science. Hello and welcome to Probably Science. My name is Andy Wood. I'm Matt Kirshen. How are you doing, Andy? Are you still injured? You- I'm still, yeah, I had a mishap that is very preventable. Everybody should have mats in front of their showers if you have a slippery stone or concrete floor. Um, Shower mat. In the future, I will have that now because I slipped coming out of the shower and have a two or three inch gash in my arm that I'm not sure if I should be going to the hospital over. You sent me a photo of it and it does not look pleasant. No, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. Uh, It was three hours ago now, though, so I'm past the point of just constantly punching things and cursing. So... (laughs) Well, we should introduce our guest, who was yes. kind enough to record a little bit later than planned to accommodate. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, that and that's uh, one of one of my favorite joke writers and comedians, the excellent Brian Kiley. Hey, Brian. Hey, how are you guys? I'm I'm uh, sorry about your mishap. It's okay. It's getting better. I threw it down a few ibuprofens, and I'm having a beer. So we'll see what that does. That's what all all doctors say. That's how to fix it. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. Uh, isn't okay. alcohol alcohol's a blood thinner? Isn't it? I mean, uh, yeah, it's it's got a bandage on it. It's got a watertight bandage on it. Um, I th- I'll take the pain reduction of alcohol over the possible blood thinning effect. Um, but yeah, I don't advise this. This is not something. This is not uh, probably medicine. No, um, <laughs> I don't know what. I see. So you guys misinform people. Is that the idea? That's the idea. Yeah, it's a very twenty first. It's a very twenty twenty one podcast. Gotcha. Um, have you guys heard the good uh, the good news about ivermectin? Yeah, we're here. To, we're here to <laughs> cast to cast doubts over everything said by any authoritative uh, source. Great, so, great. And I'm, yeah. I'm assuming you guys are anti vax uh, Very much so. We got it, but then we're, we're recommending others not get it because that's the kind of people we are. So for us. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, what a mess. Yeah. I mean, not to, we haven't really talked about this much, but uh, it's just with every passing day, I'm getting more and more. I guess I shouldn't be surprised a year and a half into it, but like I just never would have guessed that we're here where we could have really kind of halted this in its tracks, more or less. Yeah. And here we yeah. are. Uh, now we're all bearing the, the brunt of this choice made by a, fr- a fraction, a large fraction of the populace. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If, if anybody needs any like reassurance as to the safety or the cost benefit analysis of getting the vaccine, uh, I would very much recommend. I know he's a polarizing figure to some people, but the latest Sam Harris episode is free and it's just very great distillation of like taking on everybody who is anti-vax because there are a lot of people who are using science to say you shouldn't take it. And it, a lot of people are right. saying, like, well, there, there is some risk, of course, the way there's a risk with literally everything in life, but that risk is so minuscule compared to the huge benefit and just the right, fact that we're, right. we're, already, we're already running this experiment around the country where we have now, about half, this... half faxed and half not, and the half that aren't are the ones that are in the hospital and dying. Like, it's just... Yeah. Now, is this the Sam Harris that won Star Search years ago? <laughs> Wait, what, what's that story? I don't know who that is. <laughs> the very first year of Star Search, there's a singer named Sam Harris who won the oh. whole thing, but... I'm guessing it's a different Sam Harris. Well, I mean, he won Star Search, so we should all know that name because obviously he became a star that day. So I don't, oh, know, how, yeah. I don't know how I don't know that name. <laughs> That's what happened in Star Search. So everyone who won became huge household names. Exactly. Yeah. But it it is the same Sam Harris whose mum created like the Golden Girls and Soap and a bunch of other things. Oh, Wait, is that true? That's completely true. Sam Harris's mum is Susan Harris. Is that right? That's crazy. What you Who, mean? Which well, sorry? Which Sam Harris are we talking about now? The the uh the real the the podcaster, <laughs> podcaster. broadcaster, and author Sam Harris, right, right. who's 
yeah, whose show you were listening to and just recommending. So his, his mother was Susan Harris, who created Soap and wrote every episode. Did why she? Would pe- yes. Why would people not listen to her? Yeah. To him. You should you get your I mean? vaccine information from the son of, like, oh, man, this yeah, is such like a tangled. If, if, if Norman Lear's kid gave me medical advice, I'd be like, he's <laughs> Norman Lear's kid. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I watched All in the Family. Is that Norman Lear? That's got to be Norman Lear. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sure. He just turned 100, didn't he? This week. Did he really? I oh my so. gosh, did he? Wow. He was I know still he's working. It's he's, crazy. He's, he's still doing it. Yeah. It's unbelievable. And, and I think he was a World War II uh, pilot. Am I crazy? I think he wrote a pilot during World War II. <laughs> oh, you know, I'm sorry. He just turned 99. I was wrong. He was born he in 99. Ah, three days ago. No, that's he not a 99. story at all. No, no. 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 <laughs> Call me in a year's he's, time, then I'll be impressed. He's, yeah. he's one of us two digiters. <laughs> <laughs> it's an that's not play. that interesting to me. When he gets to th- when he gets to three digits, let me know. <laughs> and, and four, really, let me know. Right. That's when it becomes. That's that's the real deal. <laughs> Real test. Okay, so yes, he was a radio operator and gunner on a Boeing B seventeen flying fortress. Um, wow! In World War Two, flew fifty two combat missions. Amazing! Wow! Uh, you know how many people? Cre- how many people flew fifty two combat missions and created mod? <laughs> <laughs> it's a smaller number than you'd think. It's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to see that Venn diagram. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you call when event when two circles touch at exactly one point? That's just the Mastercard. No, the Mastercard logo is a Venn diagram, isn't it? Those two yeah. overlap. Yeah, you're oh. thinking of the number eight. The number. That's what I'm thinking of. Yes, <laughs> zero with a belt, but like a number eight that is quite bottom heavy. A very geometric. <laughs> Wait. Bottom heavy, they just well, be like depends which be way around it is, same... or top heavy, or side heavy. Why can't they be two uh, two equal equal circles? Well, because I'm thinking World War Two bomber missions is a slightly bigger circle than the created mod. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't think the circles had to reflect the relative sizes of groups in a Venn diagram. Actually, hang you know, on, you... it would be wrong anyway. We're still complete. It would it would look like a bullseye that Venn diagram is what it would actually look like. You guys should do oh, a math sorry. podcast instead of a science podcast. <laughs> You're right. It would be a single point, the mod thing, which exists inside, or that point could exist on the... Well, I mean, no, no. I, I, I contend. We'll put, it, we'll put it to our listeners. I contend you... <laughs> that Venn diagram circles don't have to change their size because of the sizes of the groups they represent. Also, I'm retracting my previous point because I don't think Norman Lear was the only person who created mod. Okay, there's that also. Oh, yeah. there's more than... one. <laughs> Um, do you think Cheryl, what's her name, also was a bomber pilot? <laughs> Wait, Bill Macy was in that? That's not. Oh, of course, that's not William not. H. Macy. No, okay, that's yes. why. That's why William H. Macy has to have the has to oh. go by William and have the H. Right, right. But you'll see, you will see interviews of people that worked with William H. Macy, and they'll be like, you know, Bill Macy, and they're like, Wait, do you mean the guy from Mod, or right. do you mean the guy from Fargo? When you're trying to be that guy who calls him Marty Scorsese, like yeah, you, just, you don't need to get yeah. that comfortable with Bobby De Niro. <laughs> <laughs> I would so love to be that guy, you know. Oh, I mean? just dropping 
Yeah. Yeah, I don't have the confidence. Even if I knew those guys, I wouldn't have that confidence. It's sort of yep. the opposite of what I think Conan has talked about this. Um, what Harvard people have to say when people ask where they went to school, they just have to say they went to school in Boston to avoid. Right. Right. But then everyone just knows what that everyone, means. Right. Yeah. Yes. Once you've done that, it's almost then if everyone knows that, then it seems like you're being yeah. falsely modest. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. Well, you, I went, to, you went yeah, with. I went, I went to school in Boston, but I didn't go to Harvard, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. This is closer to home than we meant to. Well, right. And also, you it's, worked with Conan for many, many years. Yes, I did. <laughs> and there are 60 colleges in Boston, and we know which one he went to. <laughs> are you an Emerson grad? I didn't check. Uh, no, I actually went to Boston College. Oh, cool. Uh, which is way more Boston than going to Harvard. Harvard's in Cambridge. Right. Is Boston College technically Brookline, or is it Boston? Uh, it probably is technically, technically Brookline. It's Brookline and Newton. It's like right on the uh, line there in Chestnut Hill. So somehow Chestnut Hill is partly in Newton and partly in Brookline, which shouldn't be allowed. But huh. but you, you also you started comedy in Boston as well, right? I I did. Mm-hmm. Which is uh, it was um, at the time that was like it was a pretty <laughs> normal. Yes, Norman Lear and I um, <laughs> <laughs> created Boston comedy many years ago. What didn't this guy do? Yeah, he he actually adapted the city of Boston from an earlier UK city <laughs> called Boston. Portland, Oregon was almost a Boston adaptation. It was a coin toss between they were named after yes. one, one of two East Coast cities. It was either going to be called Portland or Boston. Yes, Portland, I Maine. did. I did know that. That's interesting. The yeah. Lear Jet was was named for Norman Lear. <laughs> <laughs> Uh. <laughs> and, and leering at a woman was actually <laughs> I was gonna go there too but the spelling kept me from it but I guess if you're a leering kind of person you don't care about spelling so uh, <laughs> Brian we like well we're talking about college and education we like to ask our guests this before we get into the science stories what if anything is your background in science and that's <laughs> ranged from school classes you liked or disliked to blowing stuff up in the woods with your friends uh, I have some bad news for you guys. So I was an English major. Um, now, my mother was a biology teacher. She was a high school biology teacher. Okay. Um, and um, I did very poorly in that. And I think there was some, you know, my my therapist could really delve into why. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that was part of my rebellious youth was not doing well in the class that my mother taught. <laughs> um, you weren't actually in her class, I'm guessing, though, right? No, no, no. I wasn't in her class. But uh, that was actually my worst subject. <laughs> uh. um, but and yes, so I um, so my science knowledge is pretty bad, actually. <laughs> uh, but I do read history and sometimes those sometimes they intersect. Yeah. Well, there's definitely history of science is a uh, is a very large subject. Science well, and history right. is less so, but yeah. and That's... if you're reading like a Ben Franklin biography or something like that, they keep slipping in science whether you like it or not. You know what I mean? Right. So, Brian, did your mother care that you weren't good at biology, or was that just she's like, oh, you have different strengths? And yes, you know, was, she did care very much, and she made me take. <laughs> it's so funny I haven't done this. You know, you had to take those AP um, tests also. Right. So you would pick the subject you did well, and she made me take it in biology, and I was like, look, 
I don't know if you've been paying attention, but this hasn't been going well. <laughs> so <laughs> I did the AP. Was this, is that what it was called? AP test? Or yeah, advanced like placement. Or? Yep. And um, they did not place me advantageously in the, <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that did not go well. And, uh, you know, not surprisingly, but I don't know why. I don't know why. Th- <laughs> I, I don't know why she thought I was faking it. I was not good. She just thought you so. might have just sort of absorbed some biology learning. I was going to say by osmosis, but that was a bit too on the lo- yes, nose there. I, right. Yeah. Right. So I had Maybe on the nose is a bit too on the nose as well. I mean, <laughs> you can't get away with, from non-biology uh, mm-hmm. phrases. Um, right. It was too much on the proboscis. Is that the correct <laughs> Yeah. yeah <laughs> see? It's, it's all come back around. You've picked up all the science you didn't back then. <laughs> <laughs> I think that more than makes up for whatever happened in history. <laughs> um, well, we should get into some stories because there are a there's a couple of Twitter stories we've not gone to our tweeted in listeners before recently. So, uh, and a couple of listeners, both uh, Justin of Earlwood and also um, I'm going to pronounce this correctly, Devorpa. Uh, that's D-E-V-O-R-P-P-A, have both sent in a story about cockatoos in Sydney. I'll go for the one from the version from The Guardian. Uh, because... <laughs> of the two. There's The Guardian and The Smithsonian, the two versions of the article. I'm going British. Sorry. But the... Um, uh, you can look at it, by the way, as well, Brian, if you look in, the sh- in there, it comes up in the comments on the website that we're using. But cockatoos in Sydney are learning from each other to bin dive for food. Yes. Dumpster diving, as the Americans would call it. And sulf- sulfur-crested cockatoos are learning from each other to open wheelie bins in order to scavenge from food, and the behavior is rapidly catching on across Sydney. Wow. With their health- well, they're, yeah, they're not just sulfur-crested. They're, there's, there's a lot of other crested things now. It's banana peel crested. Cigarette ash. Yes, old coffee cup. <laughs> <laughs> so, with the help from the public, Australian and German ecologists have documented cockatoos learning the bin diving behavior through social interactions, with reported sightings of the behavior growing across Sydney in recent years. The researchers called upon Australians to report sightings of cockatoos opening bin lids. Do your part, Australians. Yeah. If you see something, say something. <laughs> I've got to say, this has come up. Quite a few times over the ty- years we've been doing this show, Australia seems quite good at encouraging citizen science. Like, I remember there was the story about catching spiders a while ago. That Those crazy, s- huge, poisonous spiders. They want to yeah. just... Yeah. Right, Which so seemed a little bit less smart. Here's my question. So do the cockatoos in Australia, do they open the bins counterclockwise? <laughs> <It's different>. yeah. <laughs> yeah, the bins are all upside down, so it takes some real effort, because the... <laughs> the lids on the bottom and they've got to push the whole body of the trash can up um so that so before 2018 bin foraging was cited only in three suburbs in greater sydney and wollongong but the ability to open these bins has spread widely by the end of 2019 with sightings reported in 44 suburbs Mm. Um, i I blame social media (laughs) (laughs) You know, birds have been tweeting a lot longer than we have. <laughs> That's a very good point. That's, they invented it. By the way, they, 
one of the study's lead authors, who I'm about to quote, has a fantastic name. Yep. He's named Dr. Barbara Klump. That's with a K. K-L-U-M-P. Sure, sure. That sounds like a Marx Brothers character name. Right, right. <laughs> well, that, that, that was an Eddie Murphy movie, right? The Clumps? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Which I, I think they focused on Cockatoo's opening bins, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> Pretty sure that's what it was about. Which, that character is not... It's just a coincidence that he did two fat suit movies, right? Um, he was the Nutty Professor also. Those That always confused me that there were these two... Was the Nutty Eddie Professor... Eddie Murphy did, fat suit. Did he wear a fat suit in the Nutty Professor too? Yeah, wasn't that the plot? Like, didn't or, I mean? I think in the Jay Lewis version, he was just dorky and became suave. But in this one, I think he was fat suit, then became svelte when he took whatever potion he created. Oh, I could well, be you want, confusing. You want to get your money's worth. If you buy a fat suit, you want to get your money's worth. You don't, <laughs> yeah, you don't just wear it once, like it's like a like a bridesmaid <laughs> dress. You know yeah. what I mean? You want to. That's, that's wear, true. Wear they, they are not cheap. Like the good quality, like movie Absolutely. level ones. Absolutely. You know, I your common or garden, suit. like yeah. <laughs> The fat suit I got was way too big. But <laughs> <laughs> it's <one is> ludicrous. <laughs> uh, so, Dr. Barbara Klump of the Max Planck Institute of Animal Behavior in Germany, one of the study's lead authors, said the behavior spread more quickly to neighboring areas than to suburbs farther away, suggesting that the cockatoos were learning by observing others rather than figuring it out by themselves. It's not popping up randomly, she said, in these 44 suburbs at the same time, but it's following the geographic layout of the suburbs. Sure, sure. Well, they, you know, they see one cockatoo, you know, with like a cereal box in his head. They're going to start going, hey, where did they get that cereal box? I really hope it's one of the small size ones, like the one, you know, the sizes that you only really get on ho- in hotel breakfasts. Right. <laughs> Because that's right, a fetching right. size for a cockatoo. I think like a full size one would just be uncomfortable. Yeah, unless the cockatoo's wearing a fat suit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, if listeners yelling at their at their iPhones right now, uh, Clump was the character's last name. So the the sequels to Nutty Professor were just called the Clumps, or you know, oh. Revenge of the Clump. Oh, 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 I see. Oh, so okay. So it's basically the same. I see. Yes, that's why the uh, confusion the, uh, confusion averted. So it all sort uh, of happens within the Nutiverse. Exactly, yeah. Or Clumpiverse, I'm not sure which. <laughs> Probably Clumpiverse. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, so there are, there are parallel Clumpiverses. <laughs> it's, it has been, it's been mooted. <laughs> There's more than one Clumpiverse. Yeah, there, I mean, like, that's, that's certainly a very strong theory amongst nutty professors. The multi <laughs> I, I heard those movies were, were humor-averse. Is that <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think I am. I can describe myself as clump averse. <laughs> Having not, uh, sorry. Okay, away from the clumps, back into these clumps. Yeah. Uh, sure. Uh, Australia's been big into these cockatoos recently. There's a bunch of cockatoo stories, including. So, so there's a couple link from here as well that I might have to cover because it says the sulphur-crested cockatoo is a highly intelligent parrot species, notorious in Australia for its loud screeching and sometimes destructive behavior. That's mm. that's linking to a story. And then it also says it's one of the few non known non-human species capable of dancing in time to music. As in the Ooh. case of the viral sensation Snowball the Dancing Cockatoo. Mm. Wow. Well, this should help the web the reality show I'm pitching called Dancing with the Cockatoo. <laughs> Certainly. You are it was originally just dancing near the cockatoos, but now right. now you know. 
you've got a, what you have to do. You have to find cockatoos whose careers are kind of on the downside. You know, and right? You bring them back. In need of a yeah. I'm just I'm just worried this show might compete with the one that I'm pitching called Australia's Got Talons. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. Is that one? Is that two similar? To, is that two on the beak? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm very sorry. No, not at all. The process, by the way, so they the researchers following the survey, they they marked and observed 486 cockatoos. In direct observation, they were found only around 10% of the birds, most of whom were male, were capable of opening the bins. I don't know whether that's the only the males were capable or whether it was like the females sent the males to go and do it. Sure, yeah. Uh, the rest of the cockatoos waited until bins were opened to share in the spoils. And the well, process. You know, my my wife only keeps me around because I can open jars. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's the one thing that she needs me for. And I feel like it's got to be a related thing. Like, oh, I can't. Can you get this bin open for me? <laughs> you, you know what I mean. So yeah, it's it's quite a tricky action, apparently, according to Professor Clump, the um, Doctor Clump. The process of a cockatoo swinging open a wheelie bin is quite tricky from both a motor action and a physical strength perspective. It's a very complex and multi-step sequence they have to learn. And well, let me ask you, if you don't want your neighbors seeing you dumpster dive, what if you get a pet cockatoo? Yeah, mm-hmm. or just a cockatoo costume. <laughs> <laughs> just a cockatoo costume. And I think that's the solution. I think and- a, cockatoo, a cockatoo fat suit is the best of all worlds. <laughs> wow. If someone makes that. <laughs> so... Clumps hypothesized that more male cockatoos were able to successfully open the bins potentially because they are larger or more dominant and restricting access to the food resource. And they, well, they all, oh, yes. oh, there was, there's also, by the way, there's, there's different local styles, apparently. There's different cockatoo bin opening techniques oh. in different suburbs ar- arising from local subcultures. But it's also, it's a, cockatoos are very paternalistic, uh, species. I mean, otherwise, They'd be called vagina twos. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's what it is. So oh, they also, by the way, they they are aware of the sort of recycling rules in Australia in Sydney <clears throat> because they they apparently seem to differentiate between the red lidded general waste bins and the yellow lidded ones, which are recycling bins. We'd observed eighty eight point eight percent of the time they opened the general waste bins. I mean, is is couldn't that just be that animals usually like, have better a better sense of smell and they know which ones have food in them? Maybe from that, or they that, they could be woke. <laughs> uh, wow. By the way, we we will put a link to that story as we always do in the show notes, and you can also click through to there to see Snowball the dancing cockatoo if you so choose. Oh, who wouldn't choose that? Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, there is it's a video. In fact, hang on, I'll I'll find you. I'll get you the YouTube link. We'll put that directly in the show notes because you can you can see Snowball the Dancing Cockatoo Part One, where Snowball is dancing to "Another One Bites the Dust" by Queen. Is this the one that ends in a cliffhanger? But they make you pay for the second one. Do, do they he really? Is that part? That's no, how, I don't, he said he says part one. Like what? what? Yeah, that's how they get you. <laughs> First one's always free with the cockatoo videos. <laughs> Uh, so we also got a bunch of responses to emails from. I'm sorry, Matt. That was the end of the cockatoo, correct? That's fine. Yes, yeah. Yes. We, we pretty much we've done we've done out the cockatoo story. <laughs> uh, we got a number of emails, um, some of which were equally uh, impressed, or they'd already known about the the fact that kale and broccoli and 
cabbage and cauliflower and Brussels sprouts are all the same species. Yeah, did you know? I, did you know this? I feel like this is something that I should have known, but discovered yeah, last same. week in the middle of the show that every single one of those vegetables is the same species. They all came from the same thing, and they and it's just selective human breeding that has made them look more like a, a kale leaf or a broccoli head or a Brussels sprout. Was Brussels sprouts on the list? I think it was. Yeah, Brussels sprouts was. There were like six or seven. But a number of listeners sent uh, interesting articles on NPR. I feel like like small children knew this. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) They knew to avoid those, all of those. Equally bad, all of them. I I mean, that is a solid trick if you're a kid to just go like, can I just bargain with your parents and say, look, how about this for a deal? I'll eat all the vegetables except let me just have one vegetable that I'm allowed to veto. Yeah, one species. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Uh, We also got an email from Michael Valbuena, whose story we talked about last week about the computer system that could generate speech with um, people just thinking about saying words. And when we were talking about Stephen Hawking and, and his sort of, at a certain point in his life, choice of the robotic voice because there were more options, uh, he sent a link. I will actually link to this uh, Vocal ID is the name of this company that, um, you can call in and donate your voice to be used, similar to yeah, how... Yeah, it's, really, it's a really cool thing. So we, we also talked about... There's a comedian in the UK called... Uh, uh, his his name's Lee Ridley, but he also goes by Lost Voice Guy, and he doesn't... He he lost his voice when he was younger, and he uses a voice synthesizer to do stand-up. And he recently put out a call for a, for a voice, an accent that sounds more like his natural voice, because his synthesizer didn't sound like him. And this this website lets you donate your voice to basically to the cause, so that people can use your voice to match what they would like to sound like. Wow! I don't wow. even know how you would if you were deciding that. It just seems like once something like this is out there, there'd be too many options. How would you even? Well, you sort of narrow it down, I guess, initially by things like gender and accent. Right, right. From there, you just kind of have to listen. Like, it's if you ever played any kinds of video games where you can create an avatar, and these days they're getting very specific, and you could just like spend way too long just like tweaking the eye distance and stuff. So you're saying I could have like James Earl Jones donate his voice to me, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, or, or at the very least, someone who sounds a bit James Earl Jonesy. Wow. And you can pick that if they've donated your voice to that, and have that programmed into your voice synthesizer to be how you how you communicate well even just to call people and have them not recognize my voice would help my career immensely. <laughs> it's brian's agent again <laughs> incredibly resonant and uh <laughs> he's very authoritative white. <laughs> i thought maybe you were just like in in your in this post conan career you're moving into prank calls or something it's not, that. not <laughs> well that's kind of how i feel my days at the moment <laughs> yeah <laughs> what that's, how I got, that's how i got you guys on the line yeah I, we're, at first like what, yeah what, once, what? once once we confirmed that our refrigerator was running and, uh, <laughs> and that we did have prince albert in a can for some reason <laughs> outdated outdated product but we both had what, it. what 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 was prince albert in a can Is okay I, I was gonna i was gonna ask you that because i i assumed this was just like an american reference but a still present day because I, I remember hearing that as a prank call years ago or hearing about that and having no idea what it was supposed but to mean if only yeah, you it's, had it's tobacco. some back background in you know british things maybe <laughs> you'd be familiar with prince albert um 
It is a completely American product. Um, American brand of hand-rolled cigarette and pipe tobacco. Okay. But, okay, but it comes in a can. Okay. I guess so, yeah. Oh, this would have been... I mean, wow. The overlap between when this was sold in the can and when telephones existed must have been just <laughs> like two two years, because this can... I'm it was seeing... like the first crank call. Yeah. The well, Venn I think diagram, Alexander Graham Bell, was... did the, the first call was a... <laughs> yeah. <in> <laughs> Come here, Watson. Psych. That's not Frank. <laughs> yeah. Which one was Mary Had a Little Lamb? Was that? Oh. That the, the phonograph crap. with uh, Edison. Uh, oh, see, okay. w- once again, uh, I, I'll know historical, I'll know a science fact if it slips into a history book. History of science. Uh, uh, but I don't know science. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. That's, I've, I've gone down this rabbit hole of like earliest recordings. Um, and I learned that, who do you think the first president whose audio exists that we can hear today oh uh is it teddy roosevelt earlier by a f- oh a f- fair bit uh, not that long but uh a bit. uh cleveland between cleveland's it was benjamin harrison benjamin harrison all right the problem yeah, was can... no one is interested in anything benjamin harrison had to say yeah everybody between like lincoln and mckinley is kind of like a blur right or at least to me yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess Grant, but then he that didn't go well. So yeah, right, right. Yeah, but yeah, I think yeah, if you could look up uh, the Wikipedia of like early audio recordings, one of the things like a wiki, wiki audio is just some barely audible speech of Benjamin Harrison's circa eighteen. I don't know, was that eighty nine? Right. I so? think the speech was entitled "I Might Be the Most Obscure President." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There was when I was studying for Jeopardy. Sorry to drop that in there again. Um, I listened to that podcast, Presidential, where there's one episode per president. And they did have one for oh, who was it? Was it Polk? There was one president of 18th century one where they admitted, like, sorry guys, this is just the most boring president. Everyone knows it. This is the one everyone forgets. Uh, it, maybe it was well, Ar- Arthur. I don't Arthur know. Arthur or Fillmore, maybe. Could have been Fillmore. Although he's at least notable for looking a lot like Alec Baldwin. Oh, oh, yeah, that's true. That's Google true. Fillmore. He looks like current day Alec Baldwin. So you were on Jeopardy. I sorry, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to, to go on this. No, road no, again, no. Just I'm, to bring I'm so, that up. Uh, did, did you, yes, were you on that was. show? That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. How, I did, how was I, it? It was great. I got to be. I was one of the last people to be on with Alex as um, as host. So oh, it was amazing. wow! Really, really cool. Yeah, nice. Met nice. a lot of did, fun. Were you on for a couple episodes? I did, I made it long enough that I made it into the tournament of champions. Yeah, I won four. Oh my so god, that's fantastic! Wow, it was insane. Um, sorry, um, sorry, listeners, to tell you that again. Um, but no, I'm th- I'm so impressed. That's awesome. Thank you. I actually got a chance. I was back in Michigan this last week visiting family, and another of the tournament players, Ben Henry, who won the teachers tournament, earning him the slot in that tournament. Uh, he lives just like forty miles east of my hometown, so we met up for bar trivia on Monday. And I never do this, but we both had our Jeopardy shirts, so we decided. It's <laughs> the only time a- in life when I could wear a Jeopardy shirt, except when I'm. That is a bold move, though, to bar trivia. That's like that's like turning up to a, like a pub to play pool in a pub and bringing your own cue. Like that's. I know it was. We were kind of doing it to be stupid, and our team name was like, "No, we weren't on Jeopardy." Why do you ask? Uh, but at least, <laughs> at least we did win. Okay, and- I was gonna say like it would yeah. be that would have been mortifying if you hadn't. Exactly. We, we we were hyper aware of that. We were like, we we deserve to lose for wearing this. Um, <laughs> we but- did a joke on Conan when remember Alex Trebek, he ruptured his Achilles tendon, or as he called it, the tendon named 
for what hero of Greek mythology? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you, you've had like Trebek used to come on Conan as well, right? I think you know pretty much every. I mean, so many. I'm on, almost everybody was on. You know. Um, Didn't. Didn't Conan slice up some video of him to make it look like he's saying gibberish also? Wasn't that a running bit? Yeah, there was a thing where, yes, it, 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 it was a thing where we would edit Jeopardy to, um, <laughs> I, think make them, I think make them all look insane. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I've seen some of the clips. They're very funny. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's yeah. just. In fact, I will, yeah, I'll put those in the show notes. I'm sure that's on YouTube somewhere. I'll find that and put it in. Oh, and then Alex, that's right. I remember it because Alex then came on uh, after Conan showed one of those. Uh, and then as revenge showed a super cut of Conan also speaking gibberish. Right, right. That's right. That, they put together. Uh, I'll link to that if people want to check it out. Nice. But again, I'm so, I feel like I've talked about Jeopardy so much in this podcast. Oh, that's, I'm not, blam- keep, I'm not that's, blaming you, Brian. I feel bad. No, for that. that's all I would talk about. And I would, I would, I would grow like an Alex Trebek mustache. I did. To, to, <laughs> awesome. That's so awesome. For, when my episodes aired, I, I shaved the beard down to a mustache. <laughs> that's so great. But I've since, yeah, that, that, it's like a, I can never go longer than like two weeks with a mustache before I just like, you catch yourself in the mirror and you just like, oh, I forgot to get rid of that. That's right. Right, so, right. It's, yeah. It it's, unless be. you're a porn star in the 70s, there's yeah. no reason to, yeah. Very few. Or a colonel. I think a colonel can... Yeah, a lot of re- a lot of relief pitchers do well with facial hair like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyway, I think so, uh, some nineteenth-century presidents maybe did some of those guys have big stashes? Am I just thinking of Teddy? I guess uh, they had big beards. I think um, maybe Van Buren had crazy sideburns. I know they were just like some. There was yes, a lot of control hair. Yeah, in that era. Yeah, baseball. So baseball definitely seems to be the sport that goes really leans into facial hair the hardest. Yeah, right. although you, like hockey players will have like they'll have like their playoff beards, right? Where right. and then by the if it, the two teams that make the finals both look like they were at Gettysburg, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's some postseason facial hair stuff for baseball too. Maybe also yeah. like a p- playoff beard or mustache. Yeah, yeah I, I think sure. that I think that can ha- it depends on the team and the year and all that stuff. Yeah, I think that mm-hmm. can happen. Let's see, Matt, do you have another story? Kita? Yeah, well, there's a little breaking news today. I don't know if you saw that a, a Russian, a new Russian module managed to destabilize the International oh, Space Station for us. Yes. Yeah, for a few hours. Well, apparently, no one was ever in danger, according to NASA. But oh, that's good. I don't know. I'd still be a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> no one's in danger. They're just in outer space. Yeah, I mean, in a tiny, in a tiny thing. Yeah, they should add the word "relatively speaking." Rel- right, right, right. Beyond the assumed danger of every, day How, of it your, is every worth pointing out that they are always constantly in danger. <laughs> yeah. Well, are they still calling the Russian like the, during the Cold War? The Russian astronauts were called cosmonauts, even though it's the exact same job. Do you know what I mean? Like, right. we didn't call Russian doctors some different thing because they were, you know, you know what I mean? Like whatever, that was the only profession. Like if, you know, their soldiers were still soldiers. We didn't call them a certain thing or whatever. You know what I mean? Well, maybe that was, cause I mean, nothing about Cosmo implies Soviet or Russian. I'm sure it's just the cosmos. So maybe we were just translating what they in Russian called their, their space travelers. I just I thought their astronauts were drinking a lot of Cosmos. I didn't even put oh, those two, <laughs> two things together. They do seem like they're a lot of them are carries. 
and our, our <laughs> people are more Samantha's. Um, <laughs> are those even two characters from that show? They must be, right? Sure. Sure. Okay. Let's see. I'm going to uh, see Cos- Cosmonaut. I'm just going to give that a quick Google because you've got me curious. Is there a difference between Cosmonaut and Astronaut? Well, yeah, I guess. the. Okay. So by convention, an astronaut employed by uh, Russia or the Soviet Union, typically known as Cosmonauts. Yeah. From the Russian Cosmos with a K, meaning space. So I think we were just using what they were calling their own people, which is weird. If we've decided on the, like you said, yeah, you wouldn't call their doctors a transliteration of the Russian word for doctor or something. Right, right, exactly. Um, I um, just think it's kind of cool. That's the one profession they seem to do that. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to see what the actual like literal Russian like in Cyrillic looks like for that. So, so what was what did what did they do today then? Okay, so the engines inadvertently fired up from this newly arrived Russian module. So I guess it was attached and then just suddenly like just went off. And then the Benny Hill theme music started playing for some reason. That is, yeah, you you know those videos of when someone like lights a firework and then goes to it and it you know goes back too quickly, right? Um, Yeah, they managed to activate thrusters on other modules of the ISS to correct it, and then the Russian Zvezda, sorry Zvezda segment, and a progress freighter. (laughs) then responded to push the station back into its correct pointing configuration. So it it lasted about... It lasted just under an hour, all in. So the Russians, they're not just happy to mess with our presidential elections. Right? They just can't keep their fingers out of anything. I don't know what to tell you with them. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it is kind of interesting that we are still on such good space terms with them, given all of this, because... Uh, yeah, in a different era, I don't think we would still be cooperating like this. And going back to the vaccine thing, I haven't actually heard stories about this specifically, but I have no doubt that those Russian social media farms that are just interested in sowing discord, I have no doubt they are having a field day with anti-vax Facebook stuff they're posting. Oh, oh would yeah. So you, would you, you just, assume yeah. like that has to be happening also? Yeah, yeah. But again, oh, I sh- on a science podcast, I shouldn't be like guessing that that's happening. But how could that? If I was running one of those things, that's all I would be having people do. If they're on the, the American project, I'm like yeah, yep. all you guys got to yep. do is just make some fake people on Facebook and start talking about. And there's probably only a couple of guys or, working on this space module thing. Yeah, everybody else is pretty much doing vac stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and apologies to our Russian listeners. <laughs> And there's some people still working on their salad dressing. Of course. <laughs> it does make a great Reuben. Is that what's on there? That's Thousand Island. That's different. What is what is Russian dressing? It's kind of the reddish one, right? Yeah. yeah. I don't know what it is, though. How does that uh, differ from Thousand Island? We, we didn't have that commie dressing in our house. I'll tell you that much. Growing up. <laughs> <laughs> is it just you get that red could, dressing out of here. It could just be the color alone. Yeah, that's totally possible. Yeah, it's also Russia in the Olympics. Is everyone watching the Olympics? The yes. fact that they're still I'm competing. in and out, but yeah, they just like under so a different weird. name. Like, we're not the yeah. Russians. Yeah. <laughs> no, you, what is that you, about? Are you banned or aren't you banned? We're just people who happen to be from Russia, all competing <laughs> right. in one one team with a united uniform. Yeah, at least uh, at least our boy Dressel took them down. Did you guys? I don't know if you care about swimming at all, but did you see the hundred freestyle? I did not. I, 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 I watched. Love, I, I love all the sports, 
just for these two weeks of every four years. Right. Or in Which this is case, five years. Very reasonable amount of time to care about swimming in the average person's life. But um, this was one of the great swims of all time. It was the Olympic record. It was a 10th off the world record. Um, wow. But he only won by five hundredths of a second. And wow. he was just instantly in tears. It, it, and he and they beat had, the Russian guy, you're saying? Beat the Russian guy. I mean, the real clo- the closest guy was the Australian. But in the prelims, the closest person was a Russian. Um, but then, yeah. It, so uh, Kyle Chalmers, who won in 2016 was lost by a five hundredths of a second. But the interview with Caleb, it's, it's hard to watch it and not tear up yourself because he's got a live feed to his family and his wife back in Florida and he's losing it and um, just didn't even talk about the race. It just sort of said, it's been a hard year. <laughs> and I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, he's like really speaking for everybody. But um, it's an amazing, amazing race. If It's on YouTube. You can look it up. Oh, so yeah. Got the I love free. it. Love it. And the 50 is happening in an hour or two, which he should also oh. win. He's the fastest swimmer ever. It's just a bummer because the person with the record in the 50 and the 100 had that record when the super suits were legal. Oh, so, I was reading about this. So there's like, there was like one one or two years and like one Olympics where they were allowed to wear these suits that have taken yeah, Beijing. significant time off of the records. So, so a lot of the records for a long time were set in the 2009 World Championships, which were the last ones that had the super suits and this is these are a couple of the last ones still standing are the sprints so he's definitely faster than that guy it's just he's wearing a regular suit now so remember when there was one of the swimmers years ago was the grandson of his grandfather was one of the savings and loan crooks that was like in oh prison. yeah remember that i do that was that might have been like 16 or 20 years ago. Yeah. Wasn't it? Some, it was like Hall or something like that. Was it? Oh, yeah. Yes. Gary Hall. Gary Hall Jr. Um, <laughs> who won the, he won the 50 and maybe also the 100 in 2000 in Sydney. And he tied. It was the first time ever, I think, that, that there was a tie for the gold in the 50. He tied with Anthony Irvin, who was only like 19 or 20 at the time. And that guy's story is even crazier because then he took 16 years off, had like a decade-long drug and alcohol bender, was like near suicide for a while, came back at 35 in 2016, covered in tattoos, had a tiny bit of a gut, not really, but just by swimmer standards, won gold again, the oldest swimming gold medalist ever. So he had two golds in the same event that were separated by 16 years and like oh my God. a years-long drug bender. Oh. And now he he's become this like super zen guru of the sport. He's like the best guy. I haven't met him, but it's, so you're saying I've, kids out there should start doing drugs? Is that what you're? I mean, if you but only for sixteen years, right. like you've got to like any anything more than sixteen years, and then it's like, hey, you got to get back to like let's <laughs> let's knuckle down here now here. Yeah, if you want to have an interesting arc to your story, do that. Sure, but it's easier that to just skip that part. Yeah, that's right, Gary Hall Jr. And this has been Swimming Corner with Andy. Um, <laughs> it is fun to have this one time every four years when people do care about it. Yeah, so, why I, don't, you it, should do an occasional Probably Swimming show. Sure. So what, what are these suits that make them, the, these super suits? What, what did you call them? I mean, they call them super suits. They, they were the ones for men. They were like tank tops on top and they go down to mid-thigh. And they were, I think, polyurethane. And uh, I think maybe the main advantage was just that they were a little buoyant. So they floated you higher in the water, which is an instant advantage. And they decided that was a little bit too much of an advantage. So now the rule is you can only have the ones that go from waist to above your knees. And the fabric has to be textile, not um, 
not, I guess, I don't know, rubber, synthetic? How would you define the other thing? So, so what, if, what if you wanted to wear a fat suit during the swimming? I mean, sure. <laughs> yeah. Anything that slows you down is fine. Yeah, as long as it doesn't have, like, too much buoyancy, because that's the issue. <laughs> I see. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the times have still, you know, as in most sports, things do have a progression towards faster and faster. But there was this hiccup because of that where, like, records didn't really move for yeah five or so years. And now people are started to finally get fast enough to make up for that difference. So, so this so here's a question. That, like, so this guy who's going to probably or hopefully take the 50 sprint later on in an hour or so. Oh, actually, oh no, tonight he's going to take the 100 fly. Uh, oh, the 100 fly. He, he already okay. has the 50 is tomorrow night, the semis of 50 tonight. The 100 fly, he already has the world record, so he's got that unlock unless he messes up majorly. The 50 free is always it's the splash and dash, you never know what could happen. But Okay, so so when you when you were in your prime as a college swimmer, right? Mm-hmm. How many how many layers of clothing would he have to wear before you could beat him? <laughs> like what would what would he like if he went in in like a tuxedo and shoes, do you reckon you could take him? Ooh, shoot! The shoes would be the thing that slows him down. I think uh, the tuxedo. I bet he could still beat me. Well, hmm. so that's you, a very you, good question. You were on Jeopardy and you were a college swimmer. Is that what you're trying to tell me? <laughs> a long time ago. Well, Matt's telling you that, but yes, did, a long time did, ago. Did the mustache slow you down on the pool? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, they have to shave the mustache the mustache off for meats. Well, except or wear like a little thing over it. Spitz right. never did. That guy had the, what, seven medals? Uh, That's true. Did he grease one? it? Could you grease the mustache? For- hmm. Would mustache grease be banned? <laughs> I don't know. Like a little Vaseline over the top yeah. of it? It's like, seems like it's, it's right on the line of being. And he, he became a dentist, right? Isn't that right? I think so. He was at this swimming charity thing that I was at a couple of years ago. Um, I didn't hear what his new profession is, but he's surprisingly short also for an elite swimmer. I think he's only Oh, like, is that right? Well, I think he's like five seven or something. And like most of these oh, guys are breaking. Oh, that is, because like are... they're like six two, six three, right? Oh, like, Michael uh, Phelps is yeah. like six five or something, right? Yeah, I think at least and, and he's also hasn't like isn't Phelps one of those people as well where his his wingspan is substantially more than his height. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely yes. a sport that rewards longer torsos and arms compared to he, he wouldn't having fit long in legs da, doesn't help that you. That Da Vinci thing, the the no. the Vitruvian guy there. Right, exactly. Like if he were to go into that hoop, his arms would be poking out the side. Yeah. Like if you tried to Vitruvian man him, his it would like Absolutely. The hoop the would touch his like, oh, look, get, yeah. get Phelps out of here. You know Cut I mean? him off with the wrist. This is not working. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody yeah. puts nobody puts Phelps in a Vitruvian man <laughs> corner is the <laughs> But um, yes, that actually put, brought to mind that this is like six years ago now when we had the, um, David Epstein on the author of The Sports Gene, which I kind of want to go back and revisit. It's a super interesting book about the genetics of athletics and it talks a lot about like body types that are better for certain sports and like countries that are that are better at like uh, pushing their athletes towards things that they can see that they're better suited for based on uh-huh. metrics like that. Basketball is also one where is obviously what clearly rewards height, but also rewards wingspan as well. Like not only are basketball players on average much, much taller than the population, but they have, again, their arm fingertip to fingertip is normally more than their height. Yeah, definitely. Oh, and speaking of basketball, Caleb Dressel also has a 43-inch vertical, which is insane even by pro basketball standards. Wow. Yeah. So watch I have a I have a 43-inch horizontal. <laughs> <laughs> it's very impressive. It's uh... <laughs> um, 
how, how old is he? How old is Dressel? He's uh, only like 25. So I hope, I mean, he hates the Phelps comparisons, but uh, he's versatile enough. If he stays healthy, he could have uh, three more Olympics in him. It'd be a push, I guess, for that third one. Or it'd be a stretch because then he would be 36, which again, that Anthony Irvin was that when he won gold, but that's pretty rare. So. Well, what uh, if what if this guy took sixteen years off to do drugs and alcohol? And well, there's back? that. That could always happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> fingers crossed. That seems I mean, to be the trick. Th- he could do that every sixteen years. <laughs> he's, like, he's like the Haley's Comet of swimming. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, t- Tony Irvin came back again, not to do the Martin Scorsese thing, but calling him Tony. I think that's what he goes by now, though. Um, he tried out again at uh, I think he's forty or forty-one now. And even just getting the cut to make it to Olympic trials at that age is pretty amazing. I think he finished like somewhere below 10th at trials, but still to be 40 and be doing that is yeah, ridiculous. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. But anyhow, uh, yeah, like, swimming. <laughs> yeah, like to get into the trials, like I don't think I'd be allowed to even access the application form. <laughs> <laughs> it's It's crazy fast. Like to be... An Olympic trials cut is, uh, you probably have to be like in the top 16 or so at NCAAs, which is also one of the fastest meets in the world because lots of athletes come from around the world to go to college in the US. Swimming is one of those ones that it's really, I think, because I've never seen like a professional swimming meet live. It's really, I think I find it hard to appreciate how fast they are from watching it on TV. And, yeah, they, sh- they except should have when a regular- you get one of those like sort of weird how did he qualify he was the only one from his country type affairs like was it eric the eel right 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 but yeah they should uh just have like they have the technology to do like an ar like i'm not saying put a person in the pool because it would make maybe waves that would mess things up but like just at the bottom of the screen have like an augmented overlaid image of a regular person swimming yeah you know, just to see how much different that is like they did with that phelps racing the shark scam Oh god, that was the worst. That was so dumb. But but they should have every country. You know what I mean? Like there should be like a guy from the Vatican in a bathing suit. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. <laughs> it's just like who's our quickest cardinal? <laughs> yeah, there's going to be like a you know a, like a young cardinal in his early seventies. <laughs> why isn't the Vatican allowed to field an Olympic team? That's a very good question. Uh, yeah, also yeah that and also why is that? That's a sketch that has never been done. And Brian, you, that's timestamped now. That's yours. The yeah, Vatican right. Olympic team. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> filling, filling a pool with holy water is a lot harder than people realize. <laughs> well, oh, is that, is that the trick? They just like run across, the, run across the water? <laughs> well, that's not fair. The, yeah. the Pope has a distinct advantage. Yeah. <laughs> Talk it about is being a- buoyant. <laughs> well, that miter might be too aerodynamic. I'm not sure they would allow that. Is that what that head thing is called? The head thing, the hat, <laughs> the miter. Then, is that a miter? And then you have to I kiss all so. five Olympic rings. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I want to see Vatican Olympics real bad now. <laughs> just, just rosary beads dangling, and well, yeah. <laughs> well, we are to, well, we are in an aquatic. Uh, well, I think this story, I, I, I think Justin Broad was the one who sent this in. Geologists may have found an 890 million year old sea sponge Ooh. in the ancient reefs of Canada's Mackenzie Mountains. Uh, the the uh, oldest sponge I know of is my father-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, so this um, two decades ago, according to this ABC Australia news story, geologist Elizabeth Turner set out to explore the ancient reefs locked away in the Mackenzie Mountains in northwest Canada, which you know. I, I wasn't even aware there were mountains just called Mackenzie. I didn't either. It's sort of like sorority girl mountains of Canada. <laughs> well, it makes sense with everybody. Uh, everybody's Scottish up there. Right? All, every one of the new kids, uh, not the new kids, the kids in the hall. I think it's an- between the, the, the Caitlin Mountains and the Jordan <laughs> Mountains. <laughs> or is it the Jaden Mountains? Either way. The Jaden, yeah, yeah. Her, 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 so Elizabeth Turner's heart was set on understanding how photosynthetic microbes had built huge reefs millions of years ago. But instead, the then PhD student walked away with a pile of rocks, a handful of which had some pretty unusual features. But it turns out that she may have stumbled across the earliest known animal fossils, according to a paper published today in Nature. These tiny structures embedded in the 890 million year old rocks look remarkably similar to the skeletons of sea sponges, suggesting that these simple creatures were thriving in the oceans earlier than previously thought. Now, when you say they were found in nature, is nature the name of a magazine, or they just happened to find them in nature? (laughs) Yeah, they they were found them in nature, and it was published in nature. They kept kept it in the nature family. (laughs) So... Dr. Turner said that the structures were too complex to being created by algae or bacteria. And we, I never know whether it's algae or algae. We've had this conversation so many times. And oh, I'm I just, thought it know. was just a regional, or rather a British uh, way of It may be. English. So the, the process of elimination said that there can't be these other things, says Dr. Turner, now based at Laurentian University in Ontario. But some scientists are skeptical about whether the fossils are sponges or may have been even just created by a bio- biological process. Sponge. I feel like the ones under my sink are about 800 million years yeah. old. <laughs> the ones on top of my sink. I got to swap those out. Yeah, I'm not good about putting. I've got the new ones underneath waiting to go. It's just uh, I can't say goodbye. <laughs> Sponges are simple animals that were around long before the dinosaurs, making them useful for studying how life on Earth evolved from single-celled organisms to the animals we know today, including humans. So far, the oldest fossilized traces of sponges in ancient rocks date to around 540 million years ago, placing them at the beginning of the Cambrian period, which is a period when um, evolution kicked into high gear and produced an extraordinary diversity of animals. Well, the sponges can handle anything. Like, you can throw the kitchen sink at them. (laughs) (laughs) The genes of modern sponges suggest they could have emerged up to 400 billion years earlier than the fossils suggest. This suggests they could have been around before Dickinsonia, a flat oval-shaped creature that has left behind 558 million-year-old fossils, which currently top the list as the oldest known animal remains in the geological record. Mm, There's a little picture of that below there. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Um, hmm. finding fossilized sponges that date back this far is no easy task as their so- soft bodies don't preserve as well in rocks as animals with hard skeletons making them difficult to distinguish from other types of fossils well, have also- they thought about about 23 and me? yeah <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> it- I love when they go with a plus or minus of 400 million years it's <laughs> 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 the rounding error yeah just you know we all know what that feels like so just add or remove it I yeah, always um, do that when I when I tell my friends when I'm going to meet them. I say plus or minus <laughs> 400 million years. <laughs> I'll text. It, do, it, it also doesn't help that ancient sponges are much simpler than their modern counterparts, says Jochen Brooks, a geobiologist who specializes in ancient ecosystems. 
If you go further and further back in time, much of the complexity disappears and it becomes harder and harder to recognize what you're looking at, says Professor Brooks. The more simple it is, the more likely it is that something non-biological made it by pure accident. But if the fossils that Dr. Fa Turner found are indeed sponges, it means they were thriving in oceans 19 million years before oxygen was abundant on Earth, suggesting animal life may have begun evolving before this event. Dr. Yeah, Turner's... Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, so Dr. Turner said the ancient reefs where these sponges lived could have been oxygen factories, thanks to the cyanobacteria they lived alongside. They, they may well have been oases of higher oxygen. Hmm. The findings also suggest some animal life made it through a massive ice age that took place between 720 and 635 million years ago. In all probability, these glaciations did not wipe out life and didn't have to start out all over again afterwards, says Dr. Turner. Okay. Yeah, this is super long ago. Uh, I, I really, uh, I'm sure our listeners know this, but um, when we did that show with Bill Nye last year, and he, in his latest book, has this great diagram where he uh, just analogizes, if that's a word, Earth's history to a trip across the US. And it kind of works out evenly because the Earth is about 4 billion years old, and that trip is about 4,000 kilometers. So every kilometer is a million years wait is that right yes uh and just he and he marks off different cities where different things would have happened and it just like reminds you of how little time everything that we sort of care about has happened in the history of earth but this puts it back of of four billion one billion is a lot so this is a quarter of earth's life ago that these are from possibly yeah where, that's early that's early early super early because i yeah i think uh i just googled this because of a tweet someone posted um that vertebrates have only existed for 500 million years. So uh, that was a quick Google, and I'm not sure if it's exactly that, but um, somebody we know, a comic, was just tweeting, wondering if if humans will be around in a billion years. And they were like, uh, will they be will humans be around and just super evolved, or will we be gone? And I don't think it was like troll baiting uh, or trolling, um, but I was just like instantly like, no, there's no possible way anything around right now is around in a billion years. It's just zero chance. <laughs> Like we went from this sponge to now in less than a billion, like no species around now, if Earth is even livable in a billion years. Like, don't you agree nothing we know now could be around in a billion years? Well, what if we're living somewhere else, though? You know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean, what about what about Norman Lear? <laughs> well, yeah, sure. Norman Lear is going to be around. And the, legacy, <laughs> and the legacy of Maud and it reruns. Well, yeah. What if he had, he had left those sponges? They found those sponges in Norman Lear's apartment. <laughs> so these... Yeah, I cleaned off my uh, B-17 with these bad boys. <laughs> but wait, I'm not crazy, right, Matt? You wouldn't, if you had to put money on whether humans are around in a billion years, you wouldn't, would you? I mean, I wouldn't put the money down <laughs> for the payoff when I'm right or wrong, but... Oh, right. Yeah, I yeah. would, uh... It's going it to be difficult to collect on this bet, that's all I'm saying. That's true. Yeah, well, that's I, true. yeah I don't think humans... Well, it, in a billion years' time, no, they won't, they, they won't be humans, or at least they won't be anything identifiable as humans no yeah i mean e that's even if, way too long even if intelligent life somehow is still around in a billion years time on earth it will be of a form so significantly different to what we currently have well right. i think we're going to evolve into our phones we're, we're going to become iphones at some point I mean, I'm not totally against the possibility of like a Kurzweilian or like that Black Mirror episode, San Junipero sort of like offloading our consciousness onto something digital. That's possible. But even like those, whatever is hosting that 
software is still subject to cataclysmic extinction events that are going to happen in a billion years. You know, like there's just there's just no way. I don't think well, I'm not betting on it. A, an upgrade every hundred million years. You said you, you're you're due for one every hundred million. Yeah, I, that would I would look yeah. forward to. <laughs> I think you get it for free every hundred million years. <laughs> I would hope with a new plan. You're yeah. entitled to yeah. You just. <laughs> I have the friends and fossils plan. <laughs> <laughs> By um, the way, Matt, did I did I talk about the petrified forest already on the podcast? You did not. Oh, I stopped at the petrified forest on a road trip back from New Mexico last month. Um, and that's a mind-blowing thing. I'd never actually seen petrified wood up close. I didn't think it would impress me that much. But you're just staring at this thing that's shaped just like a tree. But in no way could you call it a tree. You know, technically, I guess that's what all fossils are because they aren't bones. There's something else in the shape of bones that's, you know, they're different minerals that have taken the shape of where bones once were. But like, it's just kind of like an interesting philosophical thing. Like, are you looking at a tree or not? If it's a tree shaped piece of quartz. The, the wow. has that was formed through the tree forming process. That has no none of the atoms that made up the tree are there at all. But it's the exact shape and it has... In some cases, even the color of the stones kind of it looks like a wood color. But again, there is zero wood. There couldn't be any wood in it. So you just, I don't know. To me, it was just super interesting to stare at these giant, giant logs that have all the texture of a tree and just know that it's not a tree. In no way could you call it that. But it is a tree. But it was I a tree. I think you're wrong but... about the no atoms, just statistically. Really? Just in that in that sort of, I don't know what the rocks are made out of, but there will be some... There'll be some hydrogen in there, and there'll be some oxygen in there, and there'll be some carbon in there, probably. Okay, and some of the organic matter could have traded up. <laughs> well, but <laughs> even if it hasn't traded up, there's also that, you know, that sort of statistical thing of every glass of water you drink has some of Napoleon's piss in it. <laughs> sure, okay, I heard it as every breath you take has one uh, atom of uh, Napoleon's last breath, but sure, piss, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's the... <laughs> that's the same deal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, pick pick your historical figure and pick your bodily excretion, and sure, sure, and that that's that holds true. So, but you know, just just from that, like every every petrified tree would contain an atom of of what was once what Napoleon, was the, and also right. what was once in that in the previous tree. So you're saying every morning Napoleon pees in my shower. Is that what you're trying to tell me? He's the yeah. one who's been doing it. So I know you've been, <laughs> you've been trying to track it down for some time. He's the Honey, guy I responsible. Promise, it's not me. It's this guy with his hand in his jacket. Yeah. He's always gone before you wake up. But like, I mean, he is small. He could slip in and out. I wouldn't <laughs> yeah, see. He's, he's wily. Yeah, try telling him what to do. He will not, he nope. will not listen. <laughs> he's a very arrogant man. Wait. Very headstrong. Water and Lou, it's all right there. It's it was like there. Yeah. Oh he was God. trying to wow, tell us wow. the whole time. That's <laughs> <It's> genius. <laughs> wow. We we should wrap up the main episode. But Brian, are you okay to stick around for one extra story for the Patreon patrons? Sure, sure. Well, thank you so much. But in the meantime, where can our listeners find you and everything you're up to? Uh, I'm at comedy comedy clubs in Los Angeles. Uh, you can. Check me out on uh, BrianKylie.com or I'm on Twitter at Kylie Noodles or on Instagram at Brian Kylie Comic. Oh, definitely do that. Brian's a 
Brian's such a funny comic and such a funny writer, so please follow him. You can find us, as always, probablyscience.com is the website. On Twitter, at probablyscience, individually, at Andy T. Wood and at Matt Kirshen. Probablyscience.com is also where you can find all the stories we cover and our donation, our Patreon and PayPal buttons. Thank you very much to all of the people who help support the show through those ways and through just telling people about the show and spreading the word and saying nice things about us on the internet. We really appreciate that. Mm. Um, oh, also, I didn't say... Uh, uh, the other week, thank you to the listeners who came out and saw me in Colorado. I met a bunch of you after shows and before shows, and it was really cool. So thanks, listeners who I saw in person. Um, and uh, probably science at gmail.com, I should say, is the email address for any questions, comments, clarifications, and stories you would like us to cover. So send those in. Keep them coming. We do appreciate that. In the meantime, Brian, thank you very much for joining us. Oh, I, I had a blast. It was, it was, uh, it's always fun talking to you, buddy. And listeners, see you next time. Bye.